This podcast is brought to you by Toasted Marshmallow Adventures Studio. Contact them at gettoasted at toastedmarshmallowadventures.com for all of your podcast production needs. Good morning and welcome to Not Everyone Gets a Trophy with Amy and Mo. Well, hello and good morning and welcome to our show. It's called Not Everyone Gets a Trophy with hashtag Princess Amy and Mo. Mo brought a very special guest speaker today. I know a little bit about him, so I'm just going to turn this over to Mo so he can do the introduction today. Yeah. Well, good morning, everybody. I am so excited um, that we have a speaker that can speak from experience and can also help us educate more as to uh, our field in terms of medication and some of the struggles that we see in our community, Um, substance abuse, and a lot of the stigma behind it. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with Scott, I believe, about two years ago. Um, Somehow, I've always ended up working where he works periodically. Um, So, so I just said his name. I'm not supposed to say his name, but uh, (laughs) I want to welcome Scott Watkins, uh, nurse practitioner. Um, Beautiful because Amy's going to school to be a nurse practitioner as well. Yeah, I just started this fall. Yeah. So uh, excited to have you here. And I'm very excited. And hear your story. We've had uh, a couple of amazing speakers the last few weeks. We want to continue with that momentum. The feedback that we've received has been amazing. Thank you for supporting our uh, podcast. Thank you for listening. One thing I do want to mention is if you have somebody in the community that has not received the trophy because not everyone gets a trophy, reach out to us. Uh, we're looking for those people who who don't care about the trophy, who who do the day-to-day job without the recognition. And it's important to bring those individuals out because at the end of the day, they are the ones who do it because of the passion, not for the paycheck. So with that being said, Scott, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, welcome. Um, on a short notice. So talk to me who are you <laughs> where you come from <laughs> all right well thanks for the invitation i'm a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner uh certified addictions registered nurse advanced practice um those are my official educations but i have a lot of experience um with the school of hard knocks i guess i Started out as a kid with ADHD that um, wasn't treated except by the uh, Idaho Public School Behavioral Program of just getting hit. Was that IEP 504? <laughs> that was uh, when I got in trouble, I got hit. Oh, oh like oh, literally. Oh, literally. <laughs> literally. Oh, well, pay attention. I got- I got, I got hit every year from third grade to 12th at, at least once. So how did you know you, you had ADHD? I didn't. Originally, um, I had an allergy to red dye number two because if I had fruit punch, I flipped out. And so I didn't get red dye. Turns out that red dye caused cancer too, so it's not around anymore. But what I know is I got in trouble the first time I got hit. I 
really know what I'd done. Who, who, wow. Who's giving out the punishment? Well, usually principals, usually teachers sending me down to visit the principal. How old are you around this time? Eight, nine? I'm started at age seven. Okay. Up to 16. I had the vice principal of junior high follow me to high school, I think, just to hit me more. But <laughs> <laughs> So with that came, you know, my mom asked me the other day, why didn't you tell us about that? We wouldn't have let that happen. And I said, well, shame, you know, is what it was. So um, I made impulsive decisions. Um, hey, guys, watch this. Uh, Scott, do you want to? push you around in a ball cart yeah yeah off a cliff sure i didn't know yeah. about the cliff part at the yeah. time but <laughs> yeah i did wacky shit and um one of the things um that naturally happens to kids with an untreated attention deficit is they easily fall into substance use and i was the case uh i with that peer, hey, you want to try this, want to do that, you know, this, that, and the other. I, the first time I drank, I was eight. My parents were having a, a housewarming, and some guy thought it'd be funny to give a kid a drink, and um, I didn't take off from there. But, but that was it. Was that that was your first exposure to it? Yeah, yeah, and um. Were your family, was your family like big drinkers? Like, do they have a lot they, of house parties? Yeah, well, they had a housewarming. This was the 60s. It was the summer of 69. Like, <laughs> romanticized that <laughs> there. <laughs> but um, they were, I mean, the 60s, they drank a lot. Yeah, okay. it, was, it was a different time, right? <laughs> they advertised Smirnoff vodka because you could have it at lunch and no one would smell it. Yeah, so. like Mad Men. I don't know if you guys seen the, the, the I love Mad Men. I was, why, if we would be able to drink... And talk about my bad day. Eric, here's a whiskey. Let's 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 talk about it. Yeah. So um, I ran into different things over time. I found that when I ran into things that went fast, it seemed to fix me. Um, slowed down my thinking. Things started coming together. Um, can you can you, can you talk a little bit about like how alcohol does help with ADHD in terms of the, the chemical part of it? Or at that time, how did you notice that it did something? Like, how did that? The, the thing that alcohol did for me is I lost my fear of girls. It was, well, that does that to everybody, right? Lowers your inhibitions. That was, that ex, that <laughs> that was the magic That explains part, college. I talk to girls. <laughs> okay. Um, but um, I don't know that I really consciously recognize this is doing this and that is doing that, but there were certain things I gravitate to and people with substance use gravitate towards what works. Um, Gaber Mate, an addictionologist out of Canada, defines addiction as an attempt to solve a problem. And so you have people quite often, attention deficit, gravitating towards caffeine, methamphetamine, dexedrine, cocaine. Um, you know, the 1980s for me was a decade of cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it was all fun, fun and problems. Uh, I found in high school that I, I, I 
also have this entrepreneurial spirit about me, so I would throw keggers at girls' houses whose parents were gone for the weekend. And uh, I made money. So I got to drink for free. I ran into weed. If I had a bag, everyone loved me. You, you know, um, so... You were the plug. I was. Oh, that's what they and call so, it. That's what they call yeah. it. The plug. Call the plug. The plug in today. Meaning that you go to, go to Scott. <laughs> you go to Scott and, and, and he'll he get with the keg. <laughs> and it, you know, it felt good. It was fun. Um, and then... Then it wasn't. I... Uh, yeah, it's always fun until it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And when um, the party runs out, so do the friends. Or when when the legal part hits. So I turned 21 in the prison for delivery of cocaine. Was that your first time in prison? You went straight to prison? You didn't I, do the step well, system? You didn't go to juvie? To, uh, no, I, I managed to avoid those things then, but I got in a lot of, I had, I had a lot to warrant. I actually going <laughs> to prison for a writer was um was the lighter way out. For those mm-hmm. for those who don't know what a writer is, I didn't learn this until last year and what a writer was. So I got sentenced to ten years with retained jurisdiction and basically that is after hundred and twenty days the judge can look to see how you did uh and then decide whether or not you're gonna do your time or get out. Hmm. And so I got that writer. And was this in Western, Idaho? Uh, it was in Idaho. Yeah. Okay. Um, I didn't learn a lot from that, other than don't sell dope to people you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Smart. <laughs> and How long did you spend uh, in prison? At twenty-one I, I years said old. That at that time, um, I had to do an extra month because. Somebody thought I should. Um, so 150 days, four, five months, maybe. And then I got out. And my life went back to um, ups and downs. Um, I I didn't see myself as a criminal. I just liked to party. And um, anyway, I... Did you gravitate towards cocaine because of your underlying diagnosis or... It was just that you had money to buy it because it's expensive. Yeah. Well, yes and yes. Yes to both. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, mean, I mean, it was great. It was, um, you know, 10 foot tall and, and bulletproof. Um, I started drinking more. You know, I, I would have different substances come and go, just changing how I felt. You know, really, my disease is about not being good enough to my to my core. Um, I'm not good enough, and so those things helped get me good enough, even for a temporary, temporary temporary state. solution. Um, yeah. So I went to treatment for the first time in when I was about 34. Uh, I had gotten a DUI and uh, was suggested I go to treatment to try to get out of a DUI. Um, Did it work? I stayed sober for 19 months. One day, a a guy asked me for a ride to detox, and uh, before he got out of the car, he put a drug in my hand that I'd never done before, and he said, here, I can't go in with this. And, And some part of me 
the liar in my head said maybe you can do that one successfully and and within 30 minutes I'd done that drug and I'd gotten sober so the first thing I thought of was at least I didn't drink um but my disease took right off again and uh, I spent the next about six and a half years basically circling the drain on March 15th of 2004 I got uh, arrested again on a stolen pink girls 10 speed uh, some lady thought I looked suspicious and and I was and uh, <laughs> So tell, tell me about, it's was, the pink. It's the pink it's, bike. It's the pink. <laughs> I'd been up for eight days. I, um, you know, I ran into methamphetamine uh, later on, and a little became a little more. And I thought I could, I could do more. You know, the lie I told myself. I'd been up for like eight days, and I got rescued by the Nampa Police Department. Um, and I've been able to think that officer that arrested me since then but um i got to jail and really realized there was a liar in my head that really didn't care about me i called my mom told her i was willing to go to treatment again um asked her if she would get me out she told me she was praying i'd get arrested anyway i spent I did the whole rider thing again. Uh, I spent four four months before I pled um, guilty to a possession. I thought I was going to get probation. They told me they were going to give me probation. Pre-sentence investigator was brand new and just covering her bases suggested that I go do time again. And so I did that. But I was really lucky... While I was in there, while I was desperate, I just came to the jail and um, I went to a meeting there. Before I walked in, I saw a guy that I used to use with that we grew up partying together. I got voted Mr. Party 1978 at Nampa High School and he came in uh, runner up. So. <laughs> What a pair. <laughs> what an achievement. Yeah. And whenever we were together, it, our mothers really cringed. We both went to Mexico for a while together. And anyway. That's another episode there. <laughs> <laughs> he had had five years clean and I couldn't believe it. And um, uh, he was worse than I was. Come to find out he thought I was worse than he was. <laughs> but the thing was, I finally got to the point where... Um, my best i heard your you best thought that was original but <laughs> my best thinking got me Where to jail yeah. yeah and so um i was suicidal i was in a two tier pod and i thought um if i dove off of here i could break my neck and the negative part of my head said no you'll screw that up too so anyway i finally got out and i uh I walked to a thrift store, I got a boy's bicycle, and rode to a meeting, and I haven't had a use since then. And on the 15th of this month, it was 17 and a half years so, wow. that I haven't had a use. So that's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, for 
a kid that started to use at eight. The key, I think, was the fact that I guess the dissolution of my ego for a short period of time to realize that that I didn't know what I was doing. And um, the gift of desperation, I think, I think one of the things with so many people we run into is they don't get desperation. It's just a little bit another bad bump in the road, you know? Oh. So anyway. Like they don't feel the impact. Yeah. Um, a bruise. Anyway, I I got went back on another rider. I got out. I started. Um, I was a chef before I went there. I got back in the restaurant business, which is heavily involved in drugs too. It is almost as much as construction <laughs> or, or drywall, <laughs> right? Those are those are those are jobs that if you're if you hang out at the barbershop for long enough, you're you're gonna get a, you're gonna get a haircut. Yeah. And I feel like it's one of those jobs that you just kind of, oof, you're, you're mounting. Walking a tightrope. Yeah. So I, uh new restaurant in Nampa was um, opening up, and uh, I was on probation. I asked my probation officer if I could change restaurants. I went over to work at this other restaurant. In the meantime, uh, my new PO, a different one than let me work at the other restaurant, called that restaurant and told them I couldn't be around alcohol. So when I got to work that day, I got fired and I was uh, pretty upset over that. And I called my PO and asked to talk to his boss. And he said, you have four DUIs. I don't think you should be around alcohol either. And I was like, mm. anyway, I still had a backup job. I was a baker at Flying M. Um mm -hmm. The next week, I grabbed onto a 50-pound bag of sugar, and I got a hernia, and subsequent surgery, and I was sitting on the couch, and I couldn't work. Been dating a nurse at the time, and her and her mother, who was a nurse, thought that maybe I could be an x-ray technician, and uh, it was the end of August, and I just started, I took took two classes. And, um, were you good at it? Baking or school? <laughs> <laughs> well, he definitely wasn't good at picking well, up sugar. I, so, so flying him has been here for, 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 for a bit. Yeah. Which one? The one that was announced downtown? Well, I, 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 my sister, uh, started flying him. So what? Oh, all the family, please. all the family has to work there if you live within 50 miles it. <laughs> well, half of my money when I was broke went to Flying M doing homework. So, so no, I, I, my <laughs> college career was spent at Flying M. Yeah, the thing, you know, I just took a couple classes, and you know, I'm I'm uh, a firm believer, karma, serendipity, what comes around goes around. When you do the next right thing, the next right thing happens. Um, like I learned honesty, open mindedness, willingness. And I started to school, and then I took some more classes, and then I was... How old were you at, at this time? At that time, I was... Uh, well, the last time I got arrested, I was 43, so I was about 
So I guess I was about 48, and I just started back going to school. So my ADHD is making things difficult. And uh, I guess I should say I, I also suffer from um, other mental health uh, issues. Uh, depression. I don't know if the depression came from the things that happened from my ADHD, but um, major depressive disorder, substance use disorder, um, attention deficit disorder. Sadly, the hyperactivity part of it faded away years ago. But um, I'm there too. I was taking um, taking a medication called amoxetine, which is for ADHD, but it just isn't the solution, uh, at least for me. And so I'm in recovery, and my psychiatrist suggests that uh, that I try a stimulant, and it, it was not something I took lightly. I don't know if I so much was afraid of using again, but I just didn't want to go do more time. So I deliberated with my family and my sponsor and decided to start on medication called Vyvanse. The nice thing about Vyvanse, it, it's, it's really good for people with substance use disorders because it doesn't, it doesn't all of a sudden show up and say, hey, let's party. It, it doesn't bing. There's no bing in it. There's yes. no bing in it. <laughs> you yeah. know, it just turns on. It does its job. At the end of the day, it goes away. And, you know, my son, I, I learned I had ADHD when my son was diagnosed with ADHD uh, in the first grade. So, so sorry to interrupt. I think this is a big one because... When somebody has struggled with chemical dependence as a parent, the first thing that they're hesitant towards is either a touching it themselves and let alone my kid will never, ever, ever be on any controlled substances because of their own trauma. Right. Sure. So I see a lot of parents who, because of that, and, and it's not just that culturally, right? I, I grew up in Mexico where if you take any kind of medication, you're crazy. I went through 27 years of my life and it was struggle after struggle after struggle after struggle. 1.8 GPA out of high school, 2.8 GPA out of, out of college. And it wasn't until later that I took that medication and I graduated with a 3.9. From your experience, like how, how can we switch the stigma around for your kids not to suffer like how did you go from i don't want it to now i'm going to give it to my kid well i had no problem giving it to him way back then because i was still using (laughs) 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 and when i got diagnosed as i started on ritalin it was like throwing gas on a fire um because my it just let me drink more um but uh i would suggest that you look at evidence-based research there is a Cochrane study. It uh, comes out of England. They look at all, they look at a subject and then they look at all the research done on that. And in the meta-analysis, and I'm citing this from a few years back when I was in undergrad, but um, kids on stimulant therapy, kids with ADHD put on stimulant therapy are about 70% less likely to drink, smoke, premarital sex, 
because they're not out wandering around. Um, my son is uh, didn't fall down that. He wasn't really a, a, a thrilled at taking stimulant therapy, especially starting in the third grade. And but you know he's where he's at today. My son became a nurse. I I eventually started the school following in my son's footsteps really and when i was when i got on the right medication i could stay in school i could get my work done i could pay attention my mouth still got me into trouble but <laughs> it it it's i couldn't do what i do today uh, today i still take vivanth and some other medications. I have a psychiatric nurse practitioner. I have mental health issues. I Could I stop taking my meds? Maybe, but my life is just amazing today. It's, it's like nothing I ever dreamed of. So the situation I run into now is it's like people that do opiates are the cool kids, but people that are doing methamphetamine are the are the junkies in the street and they're looked at as um it's a it's in a whole different light you know that i see and they're just people trying to solve a problem you know uh when i ran into methamphetamine it, it just worked i just am a really lousy bus driver of my own pharmaceutical truck um but it, it it flipped a switch to where I was, it was working for a while. It just quit working. So today, um, I started college in the fall of 1978 at Boise State. I majored in girls from the Tower Storm. <laughs> <laughs> I was 17 and I sold beer and weed out of Chafee Hall dorm. Um... I wasn't getting it. I graduated with my bachelor's in nursing in um, December of 2012. So most people get retirement after that long out of school. I was going to say that's quite, <laughs> quite a college career. So I ran into a lot of stuff. You know, a lot of people uh, have the misconception that if you uh, if you have a felony, you're you're doomed. Um, you're just doomed, and. Um, which in a lot of cases it is the system. I, th I feel like even within your story, it was there to set you up for failure. But I feel like it's not about what life gives you. It's kind of how you go through that. And what I hear you is just like, I'm trying to go back to school. Right. And, and sometimes I feel like, is it even worth it at this time? And, and just hearing your story is like, whoa, I'm like way ahead of scott here <laughs> right like it can be it's possible but society has these standards of well you have to be this age you you have to go do this and do this to fit this criteria this box to be successful i think you're completely you're, you're breaking this barrier in terms of being a felon and substance abuse and struggling with add adhd which i can personally say i've, I've struggled with it um, the depression component is awful. I think it personally, this is why I tell people is if, if you stop taking your meds, welcome depression because you're going to start failing constantly at relationships, at work, you're going to get fired. 
you can't pay your bills on time because your mind tells you tomorrow i'll pay tomorrow and i'll do it tomorrow and i'll do it tomorrow and before you know it, you're in collections and now you can't get anything and then life sucks i found myself in that position until one day i took medication and like you said it was a switch to where then things became easy things made sense i could i can i can have a conversation without saying when are you going to be done talking <laughs> And if I knew what you were about to say, I would check out. And I would almost get mad at the situation. But once I was able to take the medication, life became easy. And one of the assessment questions for adult ADHD is, do you finish sentences for the people before they get done? Absolutely. <laughs> Mo does that all That's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. People know when I'm off my medication. Yeah, so I started taking classes and... um. I didn't, didn't plan on being a nurse. I um I also have a, a minor in addiction studies. I was headed towards a CADC and um, started taking the classes that's required to get into nursing. Um, and when I had those classes, I uh, applied for nursing school at Boise State. I got in on my grades and then I got my background checked and then they told me I was out. But they said, uh, you can come in and talk to us. And I, and I went in and did that. So for a lot of these things you're talking about, the law in Idaho is you can't have a crime in the last seven years. Not ever, but the last seven years. To be um, uh, in nursing school? To be a, a ton of things. Oh, okay. I, all my charges were drug-related. I never hurt anybody. So I guess I should preface it at that. I never had a crime against anybody other than possession, driving, those type of things. So I had six years clean at that time, and they gave me a... I had to get a counselor, which was a blessing. Um, I had agreed to to drug tests, and they let me in. And then there are cranky old women that are mad at men coming into the nursing profession. Uh, one in particular with tenure reveled in the fact that she would get rid of a male nursing student, at least one of them, every semester. and Especially uh, with, I won, with your background. With, well, I don't know if she knew my background, but she knew my mouth. And uh, it came to the end of my first semester. I needed 38 points to get a C. I did an, an eight-page uh, head-to-toe physical, wrote all that out, and then I got a zero on that paper. And that instructor called me in and told me to leave and be professional about it and don't tell anybody and um i have something called first thought wrong uh i did not want to do that right at that moment i basically wanted to flip her desk over and run her over tell tell her to, you know to f off but i i learned some things in in recovery and f you i'm out of here was one of the things i was able to let go of <laughs> And I went to that counselor, and my paper got graded by um, a couple other instructors anonymously, and, and I stayed in that program and graduated. So had you done what you normally would have done, who knows? Yeah. What, what would you be? 
could probably I, be a tech, like uh, what you said, like the I, yeah, image I, tech or I, I, don't know. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I just do the next right thing, and good things happen. So I, uh, I got really lucky uh, in the first. If you pass the first semester of of nursing, you can challenge the CNA license, and so I got a CNA license, and I started as a CNA at a assisted living, and then I was uh, got a job at uh, St. Al's in the ICU as a CNA. I'm going to school, going to school. Before my last semester, they offered me a job as an RN in in critical care, and all these other nurses are trying to get into that, but I was just at the right place, the right time. I got, that's where I was. I really wanted to help addicts and people um, with mental illness. They would hand me those people in in the ICU, but I couldn't get a job in that. And so I made the decision that I would apply to a psychiatric nurse practitioner program. And uh, I applied to um, Gonzaga University, and I didn't get in. And then the next semester came around, I applied to Idaho State had just started a program, and I applied to Gonzaga again, and um, there weren't enough people for Idaho State, but Gonzaga was kind of on the fence with me with because of my background and all these things. And for some reason, I told them, I said, I'll tell you what, let me send you my FBI NCIC report. I have drug charges. Uh, around the Pacific Northwest. So um, I sent that to them. And then uh, like a week later, they said, okay, you're in. And another amazing thing happened. Uh, awesome school, Franciscan monk philosophy. I, I, I'm not Catholic. I'm not even, I don't belong to any Sunday box store. Uh, I've got a very eclectic spiritual path, but um one of the things I learned there was that philosophy of, of helping others, helping the poor, helping people that um, can't help themselves. And eventually I graduated that program at the age of 58. So I've been practicing since since 2018. I, I graduated, started in early 2019. Early on, I started at the... I had inpatient hospital. I worked uh, with uh, health and welfare. When Medicaid came around, people were able to go get mental health care, which is an incredible miracle that the people of Idaho outside of the legislature voted and decided that people in Idaho want to provide that for people. And uh, so I, I'm able to, I went to, I work four places. I work in Adams County a couple of days a month in council, and I work at uh, two local clinics and then also inpatient psychiatric work on the weekends. I love what I do. I help people like me, people that have ineffective coping mechanisms that predominantly are 
people that have experienced a, a lot of trauma in their lives. And um, it is challenging at times. Sometimes I think it's kind of like Charlie Brown's teacher, you know, where I'm at. The, the, the patients are there and it's just like wah, 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 wah. <laughs> One of the things I like to do is uh, I go to thrift stores and I pick up uh, secondhand books. And <laughs> I just think it's, it's somewhere maybe somebody will see a sentence. Maybe that'll help. I, I pick up like AA books, NA books. I pick up those little everything you need to know you learned in kindergarten. Just different spiritual philosophies. Um, just trying to plant seeds, I, I think. I think for me, it took a lot of seeds, a lot of things to happen for me to change my direction. I I wouldn't change anything. I'm just so thankful that I, you know, turned 21 in prison and went back again at 43 and tried for 20 years not to use. And then I got out. I started on medications. Well, I was do I was trying medications while I was using. I was actually diagnosed with bipolar at one point. It's what my friend um, Caroline calls methipolar. Because mm. if you're I'm not on... using that, Mr. Methipolar. Because, <laughs> right, uh, I mean, I was uh, up, down, and around, and uh turns out I'm just addicted to, to methamphetamine. I, I didn't have bipolar depression, just depression, substance use disorder, ADHD. So I love what I do there. There is hope. I always, you know, when I see somebody new that's there, one of the last things I say is that, you know, I just want to plant a seed of hope with you that you can, you can get better. You can change. Um, and some of those people do that. So for people that, I mean, that struggle with substance abuse and they come into rehab centers and they come back, they go around and round and round back through rehab. They hear, well, from my experience, they hear you can, you can do better. Um, there is hope for you. And it all sounds, you know, great while they're there because they're kind of isolated to a sober living situation, but they have to go back out into the real world of their real stressors and their real life or if the, you know, where they live, do, where, where do they live? If they're homeless, stuff like that. So we feed them all this, I like lip service. And I think people have to take action. But how how can we help them with, or what can we tell them? How can we help them with the, the end of their treatment to actually do better? And like, where do they go for hope? And how can they live in their circumstances and stay sober because I do see that there's this gap in between inpatient to then step down because they come out when the pink cloud, they call it the pink cloud. No one's ever been able to tell me why they call it pink. They just call it the pink cloud. <laughs> um, they come out full of hope. I call it faith because it's never been done before. They obviously never been able to be clean, but no, there's providers that won't see them. And if there's providers, call me in four months three months yeah. right there is this huge gap in between and in between they relapse 
Yeah, well, I don't just discharge them. I um, I have probably at least 20 patients that are in uh, people that have been trauma, kicked around. I've got a couple people that that are on Vyvanse and just completely turn their lives around. Um, one of my patients is uh, featured it. He's uh, really been able to to focus, to follow through on the program that they have there. They have a long-term treatment program there. And they're people that, I mean, some of my patients come in, they can't even sit down. They have ADHD so bad, they're, they're vibrating. And they get written off as speed freaks or, you know, somebody that's not even using. They look like they're using. Mm -hmm. and Weakers. Then, and then they get on Vyvanse and everything changes. Um, I mean, they're able to sit down. They're able to follow through on things. And and the, the thing that so many people write off is is we can give somebody with a, a heroin addiction suboxone medication-assisted therapy, but for some reason, God forbid you give somebody with a, a meth addict stimulant. I have dozens and dozens of people that are trying to recover from substance use disorder that are doing well on, namely Vyvanse. I, I probably write more Vyvanse than anybody in the state. I Yeah, that's interesting. So can you kind of tell us how Vyvanse operates, like how it works? Like how, when taking the medication, uh, what will Vyvanse do for someone with ADHD well, and, ha and has a substance use disorder? Yeah, so the cool thing about Vyvanse is it's what's called a, a pro drug. It is essentially Adderall. It's, it's amphetamine salt that's hooked to a protein called lysine. When you take it, it's absorbed through the mucosa of your, of your GI tract. It goes in your bloodstream, goes to the liver, and the liver breaks off this little piece of lysine, and then it turns into Adderall, essentially. Um, that's a stimulant that only comes on so fast, that's only metabolized so fast, so it's something somebody can take once a day, works through the whole day, and not have the ups and the downs that, you know, when my son was in school, he'd have to take Ritalin in the morning. He'd have to take it at lunch. He'd be up and down. It would be gone by the time he was home. And medicine today has come up with some ways um, to allow for that. Just now, they're just releasing a prodrug of methylphenidate that works in the same fashion, um, that it's a prodrug. And so when you don't have that, payoff you don't have that rush you don't you're not turning on the addiction and so people can can cope without such a you know like fast the like the secondary like effect that that people would search for in that drug kind of right. yeah so when they were coming out with that drug um they gave it to um at a prison they asked prisoners sign up do you want to take some amphetamines uh, I'm sure they, they got, all said I'm, yes. I'm sure they got a lot of resistance 
the line was long. <laughs> anyway, what they found with these guys is they didn't like Vyvanse. It, it, they had to use like three to four times as much. It didn't turn on. Uh, and so it was It was like, we hate this. We'd rather be in, in, the, uh, in the Adderall group. And um, that's the key to that medication. And so. So it worked like they wanted it to based by, by the response that they were getting. No, not for the prisoners. Right, right. Yeah, no. <laughs> right. yeah it, it didn't. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to uh, Stephen Ammon did say something about like that light switch yeah. That, yeah. that turns off that, and on. Yeah, he and the cool activity. thing is it's a medication that you can dial in that is still working when your kid comes home from school. He can still get his chores done. He can still do his homework. It's not like gone on the bus um, coming home. I'm a, I mean, I'm a really big fan of that. Mostly because it's worked in my life. I couldn't do what I do today uh, if it weren't for that medication. I just, no way. So I think maybe the, the, one of the solutions is, is kind of educating people on not being so afraid of trying something. The, the, the stigma. There's mm-hmm. this huge stigma of, look, if you've been on, on any kind of opiates or, or methamphetamines, don't go near Adderalls. Don't go near any medication that is controlled, right? Because if you do, you're going to go down that rabbit hole. And I, and I told you so. Yeah. And, and a lot of inpatient treatment places, as soon as somebody comes in for any reason, all those things are turned off no matter what. I was previously at a intensive outpatient program for substance use. I um, utilized Vyvanse quite a bit. I dealt with uh, probation and parole patients. Uh, I've had probation officers tell their probationers, uh, you can't take this drug, which in Idaho is called practicing medicine without a license. I've had a, I've had a go, I've had a row with, or at least trying to get things, I've had to go to the attorney general in regards to judges practicing medicine probation officers practicing medicine and it's because of that lack of education right because they also don't know what they know all they know is we've been told not to because if you do you're going to relapse that's all they know so scott going back sorry you said a probation or parole officer telling someone like that's on probation or parole that they're not allowed to take a medication prescribed that's considered practicing without a license Telling anybody to do anything with a medication is practicing medicine. And unless you have a license to do that, it's illegal. And you go so far as to going to the attorney general to well, treat that was in that was in, in reference to, I also um, ran mental health court for a while. And that was in particular to a judge that thought everyone should be on a long-acting injectable. And so he would say, put this person on a long-acting injectable. And I would say, they'll get what they need. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, we kind of bumped heads there. And then one of the assistant attorney generals called me. And um, and then I dropped his name again with probation and parole. This particular outpatient program basically is fed by probation and parole. So they didn't like... Um, me telling that person that I had like three paragraphs of good stuff and then the last one when I said that's practice in medicine without a license boom so I <laughs> I, I left that 
place. And then I had an anonymous complaint to the nursing board that I was giving Vivance to addicts. They followed through on that, and they would have responded if they would have put their name on it. That that's what I have a license to do. That that's what I do. Right. I treat people. Well, it just kind of seems like with all. I but mean, I keep that hearing shows how you. much of like they're not educated enough to understand that simple thing. It's like yes, that is what I'm doing. Like you hired me to do something. Yeah. What are you trying to say here? So, right. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm an addict. I understand addiction. I'm also been clean a while and know what what you can get out of taking care of symptoms and it's not uh, we're just not ADHD but if you can take somebody out of um constantly experiencing um nightmares from childhood trauma or allowing them to not have social anxiety to leave the house. I mean, there's so many medications that we have that can help people overcome the things that have happened to them. Whether that's, well, a lot of it's from trauma. I came to find out, I thought I had a really good life, but I come to find out later on that when I was born, it was like 30 hours. I was born blue and bleeding. I was Frank Breach. Uh, back then, they put the mother out unconscious, and I didn't know that until I asked how I got a scar on the side of my head one day, and they said, oh, that was from the forceps trying to drag you out. Just the trauma of childbirth can be enough to change the way a brain, the epigenetics of a brain, and the way that happens. Even despite the wonderful life that, that I was brought up with and all that stuff probably contributed to my ADHD. There's genetic predispositions for that. There's genetic epigenetic predispositions for, and I think your guest a couple of weeks ago talked about that epigenetic change of, of uh, substance. The generational traumas of people of color, we have to start being more compassionate instead of expecting everyone to be the model beaver cleaver um, that's out there. People have gone through a lot of things and deserve to be treated respectfully. I think that's why a lot of people like to work with me. I'm not somebody that's, you know, going to pontificate on high about what their problems are or what they need to do. I tell people I'm not your PO, I'm not your wife. It's going to be best. You just let me know what happens and we address where that happens. And so I have a few hundred people over the time that I've met, sometimes inpatient, sometimes just referred to me as getting out of state hospital at some of the clinics I'm at. And we just try to try to make things a little bit better. What do you, looking back, you mentioned that you had, when you decided to go on medication, you, you had support, you had family to kind of reach out and, and kind of question that, yes or no. To that person who doesn't have that, if you didn't have that, what would you tell yourself? 
to make that decision looking back? Well, I tried to do, I gave my disease of addiction a strong respect. And if that's the case and somebody's in those situations, then perhaps they only have so much medication or they just start, you know, I start, I have a philosophy of starting low and going slow and minimizing side effects, doing one thing at a time. There's a lot of people that don't have uh, other people. I was blessed when I got out of jail the last time I went straight to uh and I owe my life to that. I started, you know, if my car headlights are out and I want to get from one town to another, if I follow somebody else's taillights, I have a better chance of getting there. And so, you know, a lot of people, and I spent decades there just thinking I knew better or I wouldn't make that mistake again. Or if I just didn't hang out with her or if I just didn't go there, that somehow I could not make that mistake again, but it's impossible to spot self-deception by yourself. So I had to find those other people. And there are those other people. We have bipolar depression support groups. Pure Wellness uh, Recovery has two meetings a week. You can get on your phone. You can Zoom there, and you don't even have to be seen. There's AA, NA, OA, AAA. <laughs> <laughs> well, Scott, like, um, I think there needs to be more of you out in the world. I, I really hope a lot of people get to hear this and other. Where do we find you? Yeah, how, do, how, 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 do we... how can that person be able to, to be able to call you? Do you take insurance? Do you don't take insurance? How, how does, how can we, how we can get those people to you? Well, you can get admitted to the hospital or <laughs> <laughs> I have a, an or office in, uh, in Cunical uh, uh, Wellness Psychiatry that we opened up earlier this year. It's the only place in CUNA. Um, you said so wellness psychiatry? Wellness psychiatry. And then I can also be found at Ability uh, Health and Rehabilitation in Boise. I'm also at the Adams County Health clinic a couple days a month i'm regularly found at uh, narcotics anonymous meetings where i don't practice medicine i just i'm an addict trying to stay clean and helping other people get clean i love that story thank you scott for for joining us today it's it's been a pleasure to get to know your story i've worked with you for a couple years and there's always been that itch for me to know that and it's 30 times better, 100 times better than I thought it was going to be. Um, but it's important to know. And it, and it minimizes the stigma and it creates hope. It creates hope for, even for people like me who who believe it's it's late to start. Well, I think it's also hopeful for me, like as a student, you know, going out into mental health nurse practicing, I, I, I know none of this. So even just getting this out to other practitioners that may not know how to treat people with ADHD or underlying problems that with substance abuse because, you know, by no fault of their own, they just don't know how to practice that very well. I think you're a good advocate for both sides. And yeah, I hope more people can be like you. It's great. You have a great story. Thanks for coming tonight or today this morning. I appreciate you coming in.
this is so exciting. I'm very excited to to post this up and for people to hear the story. I think it's gonna give a lot of hope. In and term- for and for their loved ones, for people that have um, loved ones, family members that struggle with addiction or or have had loss yeah. from addiction, how they can because they can play something like this. They can play somebody who is gonna give you medication and say, "Look, I'm going to this guy." It's not I'm saying it. Listen to this. Listen to his story. Well, it's something new to try for people that have failed over and over and over and just have been stuck in the system and in prisons, in jail, on a pink bike, <laughs> up for eight days, you know, stuff like that. Like, your, you know, your story is unique, but not unique at the same time. There's so many people on runners for oh, days at indeed. a time. So bef- we just want to say thank you again. Is there anything that you can leave us with that you would like to add that we something maybe we forgot? Yeah, I hope your editor can take out all my uhs. Oh, <laughs> yeah. no, we like to keep it real yeah. here. So. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for tuning in to today, guys. I hope your Monday morning goes well. We're excited for the week, and we can't wait to see you guys next time. Happy October. <laughs> Namaste. Namaste.